All right, week three of the How to Write a Novel podcast. Coming at you from uh, the interior of a McDonald's. It is extremely shitty weather here in Vancouver. So much so that it fucking snowed, which almost never happens. I've been trying to record all day, but it's either crazy windy or sometimes my recorder picks up this screeching, you've probably heard it in the background, there's just this high-pitched buzz. And today it's been picking it up everywhere. It's like really bad. And it's like, it's so weird to think that whatever that signal is, it is just everywhere, but you can't hear it until you turn on the special device. It's like some HP Lovecraft shit where it's like, that's the screaming of the universe (laughs) that you just can't hear. Kind of made me think like, man, the earth really is a gentle, conflict-free place when out in the cosmos is just horrible, screeching, screaming, nightmare death that we uh, are protected from having to hear all the time. So last episode in my very fascinating podcast about my very fascinating life, I was complaining about insomnia. And I'm glad to say that uh, I completely overcame it. It was great. I went back to my uh, place that I'm staying and I was already kind of late for my friend's birthday party, but uh, I did like 10 squats, 10 push-ups, 10 more squats, and uh, took an aspirin, but that like filled my body full of the awesome workout endorphins that powered me throughout the night. And I had a great night and it was awesome. And then today I slept in until 1 p.m. And it's just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like that was what was really making it bad. It's not so much the staying up late thing, it's the not being able to sleep in the next day, like waking up at 8.30, 9 o'clock every day for days on end. That's what was really killing me. It's like, I don't care if I get the sleep on the other side and I miss the day. Like, who gives a shit? It's winter in Canada. There's like a minute of sunshine anyway. But yeah, just not being able to sleep in. I don't know what that was about. So it felt like a wave breaking and it's like, oh, fucking awesome, which probably also related to just doing exercise. And normally I would just do more exercise. I should do a podcast sometime about exercise because it's so good. Like I do think it relates to writing because it's so good for mental clarity. And uh, just, I only really got into exercise in the last few years and it's like, oh, I love it. I can't believe I didn't start to learn about this earlier, but it's also deceptively complicated. Like I always just thought of exercise as this sort of numbskull easy thing and it absolutely is not it's very complicated and it's very easy to make mistakes and to fuck yourself up and i just have imbalances in my body that someday i'll have to go see a specialist and figure out what's going on i have a history of uh scoliosis in the family and weird curvatures of the spine but i got to really be careful about my shoulder as i've mentioned and my knee Like last summer in Montreal, I was hobbling around for like two weeks. I could barely go up steps because my knee was so fucked up. So just to do stuff like push-ups and squats, like I gotta be careful. It really seems like today I feel like I'm okay. And I was just like, you know what? I don't care. I gotta power through. I gotta get my energy up to go out to this birthday party thing. Even if I hurt myself, fuck it. But today I feel okay. I think I think I got away with it. I didn't seem to hurt myself. But it's something that I've learned to fear because, man, I had a real good run. Like two years ago, I was downright buff. I had like weights and it was like one of those things where the uh, the manager at the cheesecake shop that I worked at, 
you know, just find those little excuses to like put her hand on my shoulder. Yeah, that's right. Feel the muscles, <laughs> which is a douchebag thing to say, but it is true. I was in shape. And then, yeah, I fucked up my neck and my shoulder and I just, anytime I tried to work out or do any kind of exercise, it just exacerbated it and made it worse and worse. And even when I looked up like, um, what did they call those, you know, like recovery exercises, that's not the word, but uh, but they would make it worse. Everything was making it worse. And it's just like, oh, brutal. And it just made me fear. It's like, never let this happen again. Never let yourself get injured like that again. And the knee thing, who knows? I guess it's just because I'm in my late 30s and I'm just getting older. But uh, it's just like, oh, my knee's all fucked up. I think it's just because I ran up some steps. Like, just nothing special. But it's that balance, too, of like, if you don't exercise enough, you can get weird pains. If you exercise too much, you can hurt yourself. But then if you don't go hard enough, too, you can just kind of grind yourself down. You really got to hit just the right level and then the right amount of recovery. But then when you do it, you feel great, you look great, everything's great, but it's a lot harder than it seems. Hey, you know, if you know the songs playing in the background at this McDonald's, you'll be able to hear where I make edits. You know, I, I tighten these podcasts up a little bit if I'm just like losing track of what I was talking about or uh, if I pass somebody on a mountain trail and give them a little hello, you know, I snip those parts out. But if you recognize the songs playing at this particular McDonald's, may God have mercy on your soul. Because <laughs> they suck. Man, that was always like, like a downright deal breaker with me about work. If I worked at a place where I could play my own music, it made all the difference in the world. It made like, it, it would buy an extra eight months of me working there. <laughs> you know? And like sometimes McDonald's or Starbucks, you go into one and it's like great and they're playing all kinds of cool shit. I was at this second cup in uh, the annex in Toronto where uh, the guy was just playing all kinds of awesome shit that I didn't expect to hear anybody play. And it was always this one guy working whenever the cool songs are playing so I totally could figure that it was him. But yeah, sometimes you go in these fucking like Starbucks's and they're just playing like the worst shit. Montreal's really bad for that because uh, I think a lot of times if they don't want to just do this standard English playlist, they'll just uh, go with like the Sirius XM light jazz channel or something and it's just like the worst. It's so, so bad. <laughs> it's like, how? How are you making these people listen to this all day? It's worse than the buzzing sound of a fryer going off or whatever. Like it's way just, just ruinous. <laughs> like speaking of exercise, that's like mental exercise. Like that's like, it just grinds me down to have to listen to a pre-approved playlist that I didn't make. I fucking hate it. Eight hours a day, that's shitty. Kidding? Once again, I'd rather be homeless. <laughs> you know? and maybe it sounds like I'm just boasting, but you just wait. You wait till I'm homeless. You wait till I'm fucking semi-noted Canadian author Keith McNally, who incidentally is homeless. <laughs> it's funny that uh, my fantasy is to be a semi-noted Canadian author, but my even my fantasy doesn't involve not being homeless. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, well, you know what? If it happens, it happens, man. Okay, so writing-wise, uh, 
I was at this halfway point in this chapter where I got to a good point where it's like basically I was just waiting for the two characters to bump into each other and now I got to figure out what they're going to talk about. And I've become a fan of splitting the chapters in half. I didn't do this earlier on because things were just flowing easier. I was spending less time on each specific chapter. But now, now that I'm at this very clear fulcrum in the middle of this chapter, so I did uh, the same thing I did last chapter where I've just retitled it chapter 13A and 13B. So 13A is good, this first draft of it. Let's just put that aside, not think about it. Because it just mentally makes it a lot easier to digest when you split stuff up into little pieces and you don't think of a book and the enormity of the whole book which is just like so big and so hard to even hold in your mind and then you can uh, attach on top of that trying to submit or sell a book and how to promote a book what does it mean if the book's successful what does it mean if the book's not what is the fucking point of endeavor at all what are we doing here on this planet you know like it just never stops it just immediately becomes huge and overwhelming so I'm a huge fan of compartmentalizing. Just take the one little thing that you're focusing on today and just focus on that because that's very doable and that doesn't feel overwhelming and that's all that you can do anyway. That's the only way things... I mean, obviously there's a point when you have to conceive of the big picture. I had to have a big picture idea for this story before I started. But now, at this point, that's not what I need. What I need is to laser focus on where I'm at and just move that needle and move it a little further forward and a little further forward and a little further forward until the first draft is done. So, is that no doubt? That's not so bad. Gwen Stefani, I don't know this song, but I'll take it. So, yeah, 13A, I can just put that aside. And now 13B is just, you know, it's not... It's not that I'm stuck halfway through this chapter where there's just all these paragraphs oh and i'm distracted listening to this song <laughs> whatever gwen stefani songs i mean they suck now but she used to be great when she was in no doubt and then her first single tiktok no it wasn't tiktok that's kesha what are you waiting for <laughs> but it started with tiktok tiktok that was a great song and then never again so yeah, it's 13B. This doesn't have to be so complicated to explain. <laughs> Just fucking shit. So now 13B is on its own. That's what I'm dealing with now. So I just went through all the notes I'd put aside earlier of the different topics and ideas that I had pulled out of my big overall slush folder that seemed like they might be appropriate for this chapter. So what I think I'm centering down on is this idea that I wasn't even sure was going to make it into the book, but it just seems like it would fit, is they're at this marketplace, but there's no food, and I'm going to have Surat, the main protagonist character who is not from this space station, say like, hey, come there's no food here. Like, food is the only thing you guys have that I like. And uh, the dude, Quailum, who is from the station, will be like, yeah, well, we got some food here, but you're not going to like it. It's uh, traditional, you know, but if you want to check it out, we can. And basically what it is, is it's, uh, it's like this traditional thing that they do where they regurgitate food. See, there's an edit. No more Gwen Stefani in the background because uh, a young McDonald's man had to come back here and clean all the tables. So, so look, they regurgitate food. That's what I was saying, right? 
so they regurgitate food because they have like a, a primary stomach and a communal stomach and it's uh, based on you know old school biology when this species was coming up it's no longer appropriate or necessary but it's just so tied into their physiological way that they are that they still do it they still do it as kind of a just a traditional thing like uh, when you see like people from is it Norway or Sweden one of those countries where they've got the uh, the kind of like whale blubber food that they eat ceremonially that uh, that like one of the dishes smells like pee basically <laughs> but they still eat it because it's just the kind of thing that they used to eat and they want to keep their tradition alive and even though everyone there kind of admits and acknowledges that yeah this uh, smells real bad but if we don't keep it going, who's going to remember? In this case, because these creatures physically have two stomachs. No one's going to forget, but, but yeah, it's just a ceremonial thing that they do. But it's also extremely gross, especially to an outsider, that they're basically eating barf, you know? <laughs> and so this outsider, who's already a real dick and just uh, not at all accepting of outsideness anyway, is going to be very grossed out and appalled by this and like why would you do this are you fucking kidding this is disgusting and this whole thing is kind of based on basically when i was in amsterdam it was the toilets i just couldn't get over the toilets where i'd heard of these toilets i'd heard about them in germany at these like shelf toilets they call them where it's just basically there's a tiny little hole in the back of the toilet but most of the toilet is a flat dry surface so you're just pooping into open air. You just take a big crap into, onto this shelf and it smells terrible. It smells unbelievably awful. And then it always just kind of lingers. Like there's always a scrub brush by every toilet, even in like McDonald's and stuff. And like the cartoon image of the fly buzzing around, not that weird <laughs> in Amsterdam. And from what I understand, I haven't actually been to Germany, but when I was looking it up online later, like, what is the reason for this? It seems like it's mostly not done in Germany anymore. It's the kind of thing you might find at, like, your grandparents' house. But in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, they are keeping it going big time, man. Like, I was in, like, a, a Starbucks near Central Station that's connected to a big Marriott hotel. It's all super new and modern, and they have super new, modern, disgusting shelf toilets. Some places at least rearrange it so that, you know, there's still the whole part is basically under your butt and you basically poop into water, but still not to uh, the degree that it should be. And this one Airbnb I stayed at, this really beautiful place that I rented with uh, my friends Matt and Chris, they had two of these toilets and the upstairs one that's by the bedroom was connected to like this blue sanitary fluid so that when it flushed, the blue fluid would clear out the horrible toilet because they obviously didn't like the smell of this toilet being right next to their main bedroom. So instead they got the chemical, you know, porta potty smell of the blue shit because it's just all they could do. And it's just so crazy. It's like you guys are desperately trying to get away from this. You're trying to avoid this. But you still just keep doing it because it's just tradition. It's just what came before you. And for all the research I did, and I really looked into this because I was like, what the fuck is going on? There is no reason. Like that's the ultimate kind of shock with any of this kind of cultural shit is when you really boil it down and you're like, there's actually no reason. There never was a reason. There never could be a reason. 
it is just as insane as it seems. It is just as ludicrous as it seems. And it's so disappointing, you know? And like, this is just the example with people from the Netherlands with the Dutch. But you can find these all over the place. The big one in North America is circumcision in the States. It's so crazy. In Canada, it's not especially common. You know, it's, I'm not circumcised. None of my friends are, as far as I know. Unless you have a medical problem, it doesn't happen, at least in the part of Canada I'm from. But in the States, it's the opposite. It's like everybody's circumcised. It's weird if you're not. But they're mutilating their kids' dicks. It's just ritual nonsense. Whatever little reason there might have been is no longer appropriate. And people get upset about genital mutilation with, like, girls in Africa having their genitals mutilated, as they should. But then they're like, oh, but it's fine in America. And it's not fine. It's totally crazy. That one's way crazier than the Dutch thing. But I think that one, because... I'm around it all the time, even though it's completely absurd and the future is going to look back on it as absolute barbarism and insanity. It's hard to see outside of your bubble, right? So, like, it took quite a while for me to really clue in to, like, this is crazy, America. That is fucked up. You need to stop doing that. But it's... You can't even get them to stop using imperial measurements. Like, they won't stop with anything. They're fucking total tribal numbskulls. So even though the example of the toilets in the Netherlands is much sort of sillier, it hit me harder because it was so unexpected of like, I didn't expect to see these toilets and I didn't expect them to be as bad as they are. Like, I never knew how bad human shit smelled. <laughs> you know, I really didn't. Cause it's just, I'd never been confronted with it consistently day after day after day to the point that it wouldn't leave my mind. Cause it is a very, unique, unusual, there's almost a sweet smell in a weird way to human shit, which I certainly didn't expect. And just walking the streets and just looking at people, I was like, this is so crazy. This is literally changing how I'm looking at people because I can't stop imagining their bowels being full of shit. Like, I just can't not think about it. I'm being confronted with it in a way that modern society there's no reason why this should be happening, <laughs> you know? And it's like not even interesting, it's just conformity, that's all it is. But I'm just learning more and more about how human beings are and how conformity works and how tribal thinking works. And, and not even that it's, I mean, it is fucking nonsense, but it, it's like necessary. It's what got us here. It's why we survive. So it's like, what can you do, man? It's like you can point out to someone that it's insane it's not going to matter it's not going to do any good <laughs> but it's an extremely gripping topic to me extremely fascinating and i just all the time i think about like what am i doing because i think like with canada there's nothing physical like circumcisions and crazy toilets but socially like i always found like americans were just stepping on my toes like crazy and it's like how do you not know this little dance how do you not know how to act <laughs> you know and like uh what's this book there's this book i'm reading right now it's uh how to be a canadian by will ferguson and ian ferguson i don't recommend it if you're not canadian but if you are canadian it's really funny and i really like it but it's got like all the different ways that you can use the term A and how to use it properly and how if someone else from not from Canada tries to use A the way we do, it's so immediately obvious. 
Even if you're just like an American trying to mock us, you just don't do it right. There's all this nuance and inflection and times that you use it that you just don't know unless you live here. And they've got like a thing in here of like the 16 different ways to say sorry. Because <laughs> we, that's the thing, that's the joke is that we apologize to each other all the time. But even though it's a joke article, it's true. It's like, we don't mean it. That's why it seems so silly to outsiders. It's like, how can everyone be saying I'm sorry to each other all the time? But it means different stuff. Like, uh, man, where was it? It was just, just a silly little thing, but I was thinking about it the other day. It was just like to get into the subway or something, or like I, oh no, that's what it was. I walked into a bus behind the bus driver. Like they were switching shifts on the bus. So the old bus driver left, new bus driver went in. I went in after. But then that bus driver turned around because the first bus driver had forgotten his umbrella. But that first guy turned around and almost bumped into me. But I said, oh, sorry. But that sorry means I didn't do anything wrong. You almost just ran into me, but let's not make a thing about it. <laughs> you know, like that's what it means. <laughs> and we all know what it means. And that's why we say sorry to each other all the time because we know what it means. We're like, okay, you just fucked up, but I'm not gonna say something rude because it's fine. We all make mistakes, you know, everything's fine. And that is, I think, most of these stories is almost bumping into each other if you're walking on the sidewalk or something. The thank yous, if anything, might be more of a thing. Like I counted once, like when I'm ordering something, just cause I feel like if I'm dealing with someone who is in a clerking position, I just want them to, you know, just to know that I appreciate that they're wasting their lives to do this job that a robot should be doing. So I just want to be polite, you know, and when I say, I say thank you after I give them my order. I say thank you after they give me the change. I say thank you when they give me the stuff. Minimum three thank yous. And each one is just like, you know, like, just to make sure it's clear, like I'm not looking down on you. I've had that job too. I've had that job too. I might have that job again. You know, we're all in this together. You know, it's all just little social cues, just little messages we're sending. That then when you're somewhere else and they're not sending any of these messages, they seem, you know, in the case of America, they just seem like they're always stamping on your toes and just being unbelievably uncouth. And then over in the Netherlands, it's just, uh, you know, just cold, closed off, kind of rude, you know? insisting that they're nothing like Germany when they seem to be exactly like Germany. Which I kind of, uh, I sympathize with because it's similar to Canada and the States where we claim we're different, but to outsiders, I'm sure we're identical. But yeah, in Canada, it seems like it's all small things. It's all subtle things. So to, for something to just be like a hammer hitting you in the face of like, your parents are going to mutilate your fucking genitals for no fucking reason, or you're gonna just degrade yourself daily for your whole life because you have these toilets that no one else on fucking earth uses because they're insane and they serve no purpose except to degrade you and except to prove that you will not stand up for yourself. Like, that's what it means to me. This is a symbol of, you'll just do what you're told. You're gonna do whatever people tell you to do. And if that means smelling human shit all the time, then you're gonna do it because you're a conformist. And it's fucking repugnant. It's so just awful. A lot of things about Dutch culture that I like, a lot of things about Amsterdam that I like, but I don't like it all. And uh, sometimes you just gotta hear it, man. Sometimes someone's gotta tell you that you're being fucking insane. <laughs> you gotta stand up for yourself, fuck. 
So I wanted something kind of like that for these aliens in this book, and I thought the regurgitation thing would be good because it's, it's such a great thing that an outsider who just wants to be an asshole can find fault with and can act like it's repellent and repugnant and a similar thing of like, I can't believe you're degrading yourselves by eating barf. How could you do this? But I also, I don't want the people in my book to be like paper tigers. I don't want it to be a straw man. I don't want it to be an easy thing to criticize because the reality is physiologically, this is how they function. They do regurgitate food. It's like a, a mother bird with baby birds. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It would actually be weird for them to deny it. Why would they do that? That would almost be the conformity, like a conformity to the larger galaxy and the other species that might think it's weird so they stop doing it. Like that would be the weird thing. Because I'm really, especially as I write, kind of more and more in my early notes, it is just here's my cool individualist protagonist and here is the society of conformists that she hates. But as I actually write the book, it goes way more the other way of like, these aliens on this space station, I don't want them to really be doing anything wrong, you know, or nothing crazy, nothing really unacceptable. Everything makes sense, especially for them. And it's just this outsider that can't fucking wrap her head around it and is in a bad place and wants to take it out on them, basically. Because I hate it when there's these like books that are about ideas and the characters are, are thin. It's so disappointing. I mean, the classic example is uh, Atlas Shrugged. I really do love Ayn Rand books. I know it's very contentious, a lot of people don't, but I totally understand why they don't. Like I read Atlas Shrugged when I was 17, and uh, I'll talk about it more later some other time, but at the time, like great, like I wanted something that clear and where it just seemed nice and clear and simple and understandable, this view of the world that I could grasp onto and kind of gave me uh, something to, just to make things seem clearer. When I was a turbulent teen, I didn't know what the fuck is going on. But then as the years, I mean, pretty much right away, I never got along with other Ayn Rand fans. I always found them very annoying. And then every time I reread her books, just, uh, just this year, I got a copy of Atlas Shrugged at a thrift store because I opened it up to a chapter where the character Francisco is talking and he's great. He's like the best character she ever wrote. And he's saying all this inspiring shit about human endeavor and what it means to be a human and to create and to be uh, an individual. And it's awesome. And I'm like, man, I forgot how much I love this book. Let me grab this. But then reading it, it's just so tiresome because all of the bad guys are fools. They're just so one note and so one dimensional and so foolish. And it's just like, there are some arguments. There are some ideas in this book. There's things about this philosophy that are cool. But when you pit them against these foolish characters, it's just, there's nothing to sink your teeth into. And that's why I think people don't like Ayn Rand is her ideas are contentious to some, you know, it's like radical individualism, but particularly when she paints everyone else as a fucking idiot. Like, I think that's where it really becomes a problem. That's where people get offended. And that is something that, like when I was younger, Ayn Rand and uh, Frank Miller and writers like that, I liked their straightforward, simplistic view of the world because it felt like they had things figured out. Like they could express things so clearly that I'm like, that's comforting. That seems so great. But then as I get older, I'm like, oh, wait a minute though. It's not that they 
have it figured out. They're just ignoring a lot of shit. It really is simplistic. It's like one-sided. So where that was comforting when I was young, now that I'm an adult, it's, it's the kind of reverse. It's like, oh man, this person, rather than it seeming like they've got it all figured out, now it seems like they're just hanging onto the cliff with their last finger and they just have to keep the blinders on and they have to look at everything in this one-dimensional way or they are gonna tumble off this cliff. Like the people who seem strong as you get older, you realize they are the weak ones. <laughs> like, they are the ones that are desperate. And it makes sense that I loved that shit when I was a teenager because I was also desperate. <laughs> you know, I needed, I needed uh, guidance. But as I got older, I realized this is not the guidance that I need because this is just going to guide you into a brick wall, <laughs> you know? So I don't want my story to be like that. I, I'm happy to write a main character that is contentious and difficult and has hard opinions but I don't want her to be right <laughs> you know? I want it to be very clear that she's a fucking asshole and she is not looking at this in a complete way and that these people that she's vilifying are not the bad guys so all of that is how I came up with this regurgitating the food thing and I think that's what we're going to get into in this chapter I believe that is where we're heading next Is this? I've heard this song somewhere. Was this an episode of Song Exploder, maybe? Song Exploder is this podcast where artists talk about songs that they made. It's pretty cool. But yeah, just this fight song. What are you talking about? This is your fight song? This is the wussiest song in the world. This is all the fight you got in you? A fucking stuffed doll of Tigger could knock you over. If this is your fight song, fuck you, lady. <laughs> this is fucking terrible. Goddamn McDonald's music, fuck me. Alright, so to finish off, let's do our song of the day. I'm gonna do... This is still kind of a uh, McDonald's-appropriate song. Except way better, because I know, man. I know what songs are good. That used to be like a little fantasy of mine, that I could be a playlist maker for businesses. I was at this... Uh, fancy pants breakfast place with my friend Chris in like 2010 and everything was so carefully orchestrated except the music the music was just the radio including commercials and I was like wow this is dropping the ball they need someone to come in and make them a customized playlist and I could be that person and I really thought about it for a while like how would I promote that and how would I do that but there is especially in places like Toronto because Toronto is just like a tiny little New York a 120th of a New York that if you just present yourself as an authority on something ridiculous with enough gusto, you could probably pull it off. But anyway, so I'm going to play Hannah George's. I saw her, uh, me and my friend Brad went to see the band Mother Mother, and she was opening for them, and uh, I was just like, wow, I like that, that uh, lady. She's real good. So the song I'm going to play, it's called Lover's Breakdown, and uh, it's obviously like a love song, but when I hear this song, I always think of it more as a relationship between parents and kids. Because it's, uh, it's like this love song that is not overblown. It's none of this, like, I would do anything for love, I'll whatever, I'll fucking jump off a cliff and light myself on fire and uh, shit in a horrible toilet and mutilate my cock for you. None of this. It's just, the line is, my life pauses for you. 
And I love that line because it's so much more down to earth. It's so much more realistic of like, I'm not gonna just hurdle myself off the cliff for you. Because what the fuck is that? That's crazy obsession bullshit. But I will pause. If you need me, whatever you need me for, I will take a break from whatever I'm doing and I will give you my time and attention. And just that idea, man, that's like a powerful idea to me because my parents just aren't like that. They're just, uh, the nice thing is that they didn't push me and it's not like, oh, you gotta go live the life we want you to live, but it's also really hands off. Like they support me and uh, even financially, if I run out of money, my mom will always lend me money. Someday, you know, I'll get an inheritance and uh, theoretically I won't need it. So she's like, you know what? I don't, you know, it made more sense maybe when I was in my 20s. Now that I'm in my 30s, it's a little sadder. But it's like, hey, you know what? If you want to fucking go to Amsterdam and complain about toilets, if you want to try to write a book, like what's the real value in working at another coffee shop? You know, if you're just going to keep fucking around, then I will help support you if you want to try to do these higher fucking more difficult artsy things so extremely supportive in that sense i can never ever complain but as far as like hey pay attention to me and what i'm doing (laughs) not so much you know they got their own stuff going on and that's just how it is and it's always how it's been which again now i'm an adult it doesn't weigh on me like it did when i was a young man But it does always stick in my mind, like if I'm watching some teen movie or something and, uh, I don't know, the character has a good relationship with their parents, you know, (laughs) or like, not that I have a bad relationship with my parents, but like, just to clearly state something, like, hey, I love you, kid, or whatever, like, I'm just like, I don't know if that's how it works, is that really how it works? (laughs) Because for me, it doesn't, like, my mom is from a uh, super Catholic family with, you know, 12 brothers and sisters, pretty harsh household my dad is from quebec and like rural deep gas bay not even gas bay outside of gas bay super french upbringing just uh these are not affectionate people these are not close people it would sound extremely bizarre like those words just wouldn't come out of their mouth (laughs) it's just not how it is and uh especially with my mom i get along pretty well with her i think i have a podcast where me and my mom talk sometimes when i call her we'll just do a little podcast it's called calling home it's on keithcourage.com but at the end of every episode it's always just like all right see you later <laughs> you know? the idea of being like i love you like never gonna happen it's just not comfortable for my parents So, you know, very supportive in some ways, very not in other ways. And and that's what I think of when I hear this Hannah Georgia song, is like the idea that this song could be like a parent to a kid. And just that little thing of my life pauses for you. It's like, ah, that sounds nice. That sounds like uh, some good shit, (laughs) you know? Like if I have kids, I'll try to be like that, to be that kind of parent. But who knows, you know, like as I get older, the more I empathize with my I mean, my dad especially. It's like, yeah, he's kind of a space case. He's off in his own world, but I'm getting there more and more, you know? Like, if it's just not comfortable, if it's unnatural to be expressive in a certain way, if it just doesn't come easy, maybe it doesn't have to and maybe it never will. And and you just can't fight how you are. And again, as you get older, it's like, yeah, and it doesn't really matter. Like, you focus on the other ways that people do express their support 
and just accept the fact that they that's how they have to do it they're just not comfortable otherwise and I mean especially yeah, in the case of my weird ass rural parents like it's just it's just uh, foreign to them it's just in their households there was no time for any of that you know old school Canadian fucking religious Spankingville like that's where they came from so anyway that's the thought that goes through my mind with this song as always maybe maybe that's handy maybe that's a cool little hook for some writing or something here is Lover's Breakdown by Hannah Georges I will talk to you tomorrow tomorrow